You're listening to Proropod. Welcome as we, Portia the lifelong fan and Amanda the first time reader, discover the books of Agatha Christie. We are sisters who live on opposite ends of the U.S. doing a quarantine project and who love to be soothed by British murder mysteries. In this shithole of a moment in history, it's nice to have Poirot or Miss Marple solve it all. Hello. Hello. Well, hi. Hi. How do I sound with my new fancy ear AirPods? Um, clear um, and no boob static. (laughs) 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 I mean, it's hard to notice the lack of boob static, but once you point it out, you're like, yeah, there is no boob static. There's no boob static. Thanks to the AirPods, the birthday AirPods. Yay, birthday AirPods. Technology, which also have been nice for going on walks with the kiddos because I can put one ear in and listen to um, NPR and the other ear says, yes, that's a fire hydrant. You know. <laughs> Using them to ignore your children. That's great. That's great. <laughs> well, now that you, okay, great. Now I feel guilty. Welcome to Proropod and Guildpod. Yeah. Guildpod. Um, today we are discussing the ABC murders, right? Which is not a murder in a bottle, or it's we not a to... murder in a bottle. What did we decide? Um, is that what yeah, we're yeah. calling it? Yeah, yeah. That's okay. a we we we've uh, we've like modified the bottle episode to be a murder in a bottle. That is a a concept that that we're go we're going with, right? It is but it's not. But this takes place. Uh, this is the return of Hastings. Again, randomly, what happened to his wife? We don't know. She's taking care of the farm. He said that. Right, but he was there for months because this murder took months. I mean, murders. So right. once again, I like, mean, they have a really independent relationship. It sounds like I'm less bothered by by that because in the big four when it didn't make any sense but in this one i'm like okay well you know yeah i mean this this is big four-esque in that it's all over the place hastings comes back there's a lot going on but it is so much better so much better yeah so Hastings has just come back from south america and he comes to proro's flat in london and proro had just received a anonymous letter Right. And it was one of those, like, catch me if you can letters. I say that like I'm, I see these all the time, but like, neener, 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 catch me if you can. Right. Not like in the, the movie in terms of like showing, uh, in, the, in terms of being a con man, but in terms of sort of like, I'm going to do this. Can you stop me? You think you're so great, Paro, but I'm going to kill people and you'll never be able to catch me. And then it's signed ABC. Hence the title of the book. Right. And um, yeah, and then it's what happens because there's a little bit of like, in my opinion, stupid foreshadowing where um, Praro says something like, this is the beginning. And then Hastings says, 
I didn't think it was important, but it came back to me later. And then literally like a chapter later, Paro goes, remember when I said, this is the beginning? It's true. Yeah, that wasn't necessary. And like the letter made it, yeah, yeah, definitely, yeah, agreed. But there was a lot less of Hastings being overly stupid and Proro being... Like, right. there was less of that and then all the other ones, but that was still a moment where that happened where he was like, this is the beginning. And Hastings saying, I assumed that he was wrong about that. <laughs> right. And then um, uh, Ashley Hastings provided one of the clues to the whole um, solution. So, so the basic premise um, is that the ABC says, watch out for Andover on some date. Right. Mm-hmm. And then in Andover, the day after that, so nothing happened on that date. And so people are like, oh, it was a hoax. But then the next day, um, they find the dead body of a woman named Asher. Alice, Alice Asher. Alice Asher, who lived in Andover. Um, and, and there uh, is a ABC railway schedule which was like a brand of train schedules. And so that was in there, like near the murder scene was like an ABC. Right. What's going on there? I just opened a can of, of uh, rosé. Was that very oh, loud? That, that's got a robust noise. It's got a... <laughs> just a... Oh man, I did not know that would be a you robust just, noise. You just Homer Simpson's real loud on that, <laughs> that can popping. <laughs> oh, sorry about that. <laughs> So, what are you enjoying? This is the Underwood Oregon grown wine rose in a can. Very nice, very nice. Yeah, classy. <laughs> okay, so, so yes, yeah, so Alice Asher dies in Andover, and there's an ABC railway, railway guide close to the murder scene. And she's got a niece and a not ex husband. <clears throat> Who's a, a, yeah, who, an estranged husband who is a horrible, mean alcoholic who comes by and yells at her, and then she gives him money and he goes away. Um, and there is a conversation with the niece where she's like, and he threatens her regularly. Yeah, and um, the people are like, why didn't she divorce him? And the niece was like, she was his husband, and I was thinking, yeah. I'm really glad that that is not the custom now because if he's a horrible, mean alcoholic who yells at you and threatens you, you don't have to take care of him. Right. So, um, but he would have been the person that everybody assumed would have killed her. Right. And if there hadn't been these threatening letters, people just, because he had an alibi, but his alibi was like being out drinking with his friends. So no one would have believed that. Yeah, and then... Um, but there was something that made it seem like he... It wouldn't have been him because she was clearly hit from the back. And if he had, she had known her assailant, she would have been... Assailant, she would have been looking at them. But it looked like she was... Because she owned a shop. So it looked like she was probably, like, reaching down to get some cigarettes from the shelf. And that's when she was struck. So right, that sounded more like someone who was being a customer than someone that she knew. So then that happens and they don't know what to do about it. And then time passes and Prabhupada gets a second letter. 
Yeah, and this one, and so Hastings was annoyed because Poirot doesn't do anything after the first one. And he's like, I can't, I don't have enough data. And Hastings is like, you should do something. You should do something. And he's like, what? Um, so then, yeah, time passes. Um, yeah, he gets another letter to about Bexel on the sea. This is um, Amanda and Portia learn about British geography. <laughs> Apparently, Bexel on the sea is a uh, vacation spot where people go and have go to restaurants and hang out on the beach. Yes. So, so they so that he gets another letter saying. You couldn't catch me on the first one, and now something's going to happen at Bexel, and you still won't be able to catch me. I'm smarter than you. You think you're so great, Praro. Blah, blah, blah. And so they're on a watch out, and they've got people watching from like the Scotland Yard and stuff, and they find the body of a girl on the morning of the day, he said, of the ABC guy said. They find her on the morning of, and it's like, um, she was assumed that she was killed right at midnight on the mm-hmm. day. Very different murder. It's a young, pretty girl who works in a cafe, who knows, sees a lot of the tourists, and was strangled with her own belt. And, and, and they say, similarly to the first murder, there's a man who would have been presumed to have done it, because she had kind of like a regular boyfriend who probably was annoyed that she was a little bit dating more people than he probably would have liked and so you know everyone would have assumed that he would have killed her if there hadn't been the threatening letters right and then wasn't the the railway guide like right on top of her body or something in that case or underneath her body or something uh but it was real obvious real obvious and her name was betty bernard elizabeth but betty bernard from bexel yeah so it's b uh, b b b and then, um, again, a month goes by, and um, Hastings starts complaining about going to all these meetings, although he calls them conferences. But it sounds like a meeting. There was a lot of meetings. Mm-hmm. Where people are, like, trying to do the analyzing. They were definitely, if you've ever watched Criminal Minds, they were criminal mindsing all over the place. Right, there were so many interviews with the psychologist saying, like, what kind of person would be... And it was interesting because... I was under the impression that the concept of a serial killer didn't really come to gel until like the 60s. Well, according to... Sorry, go ahead. No, I just, I, for me, some media, I think it was something that my girlfriend was watching. It was like this thing about the FBI in the 60s trying to grapple with a serial killer. And they're like, that's not a thing. But then you think about like, the Jack the Ripper stuff was a long time right. ago, and he was a serial killer. So I don't really, well, I get, I, I try to avoid consuming true crime stuff about serial killers because that's the thing that scares me the most. So <laughs> I don't know, but, but yeah. I, I was surprised to be like, oh, this is a serial killer thing. And it's, you know, what, what year was it written? 36. 36. So according to agathachristie.com, is one of the earliest examples of the serial killer idea which is now seen frequently in books and on screen. In fact, when Agatha Christie wrote this story, the phrase serial killer didn't even exist. Wow. So she Yeah, so I was surprised. 
She might have. But wasn't but Jack the but Jack the Ripper was before that, right? Jack the Ripper was in the eighteen eighties. Yeah, yeah, and they even they even referenced Jack the Ripper, um, which you know, some people wonder whether Jack the Ripper really was one person or if it was just people would kill prostitutes and then people would say, ah, it was Jack the Ripper. Mm. Um, so, but anyway, um, yeah. So, but yeah, that's, there. it was a very new concept. Like nobody had talked about this concept of a serial killer. Um, but the, yeah, it doesn't, it totally reminds me of Criminal Minds and the, you know, which I never really watched that show, but the whole, psychologist analyzing so we have the cops and the psychologists and we have the private detective they were all like having these meetings and Hastings yeah. was bitching about it um right so, and trying to analyze what the killer's mindset would be and what they're going to do next and the whole like should they keep it private or should they go to the public and if they go to the public it's going to feed his ego but if they don't like they're just sort of like trying to figure out what was the best thing to yeah, there was this funny scene. Pull where, him out, but then also not get more people killed. Go ahead. The funny scene where people were like trying to guess what letter he would get to in the alphabet before they would catch him. Because somebody said like G or H, and the cops were like, that's terrible. And Praro was like, so what letter are you going to get to? And somebody was like, well, definitely not E. You know, like there was <laughs> this really like morbid. And then someone says, I would have liked to see what he did with X, though. <laughs> Right, it's just like what? So now they have like a, a like oh, when the next letter comes, we're ready, we're ready, we got a task force, and we're right. ready. And the they had kind of decided comes. to go to the public with the with the next letter. They kind of decided to like put everyone on their guard when the next letter comes in. So they're watching the mail closely. So the next letter comes, and it says it's going to be in Doncaster on the. 30th and then he's like Paro's like today's the 30th wait a minute and then it turns out that it was mailed on the 27th and with their mail service should have arrived right it away. Was, it was addressed incorrectly because um, Paro lived at White Castle and it was addressed to White Horse or something like that. White Haven Paro lived <laughs> in White Haven not in White Castle <laughs> That was Harold and Kumar. <laughs> yeah, Harold and Kumar live at White Castle. No, wait, that wasn't the point of the story. They went to White Castle. They didn't know. Okay, so he lived at White Haven. And it was the, addressed that, to. It was addressed to White Horse. White Horse, which apparently is a brand of whiskey. And uh, <laughs> so uh, now I'm going to imagine White Castle. That's yeah. <laughs> But, but then, yeah, so, um, so it arrived like a couple days later than it should have because it got rerouted, rerouted. So then it was like, well, they were like, oh no, Doncaster, Doncaster, search, search. And then they had um, the super, no, I'm, it's not right. Doncaster was later. Sorry, Carmichael. No, wait. Where it's C, yes. not D. Churston. Um, Churston was a town. Sir Carmichael Clark is the one who ends up being killed. There we go. Yeah, I messed up all the dates. So yeah, um, Churston and then, um, yeah, Sir Carmichael Clark and then he's like super rich and then he's got a very sick wife who um, has cancer and he had a huge collection of art. 
And apparently right, so he, he ends up being the next victim. And um, apparently lives in a gorgeous house that was new that was Churston is also on the water. Yes. So and then um, so then we meet yeah his wife who's sick his secretary who's apparently a beautiful swedish woman because again christy has to describe how everybody looks and she's apparently a beautiful swedish woman Um, and then his brother and his brother franklin and franklin was like we need to have our own special task force and yeah so then after this murder is when it goes weird so like praro's in london and then the murder number three victim's brother comes and is like, let's do a Scooby-Doo team of all the family, of all the killed people, and we're going to help the police. And it, they kind of go seven dials. Like, right, right. And, and then Pro's like, okay. And so it was the niece of the first woman, Mary, and then the sister and the boyfriend of the second victim or boyfriend yeah i guess boyfriend is the best term to call i think it was maybe fiance yeah but either way yeah her bow as it were her bow that she definitely was going out on with other guys um but and then um and then uh franklin clark the brother and then thora the uh beautiful swedish woman um and so they scooby-doo and they start chatting about stuff, and there's a lot of um, flirting amongst the people. Um, mm-hmm. uh, except for Mary, it, there's an interesting class thing because Mary, yeah. the Mary who was the niece of the first one was killed, was a maid. She was a maid, yeah. Um, and her, you know, aunt owned a little shop or work you know but then, no, she, yeah, she owned it yeah she owned it and then the second victim the sister and boyfriend were like a little bit of a higher class um i mean economic class i don't i'm not putting judgments on their character i'm saying they have more money yes and then um franklin clark had a lot of money and then there was this woman who would work for her. um and so Mary was only, they talked to each other, but the flirting didn't happen with Mary. Right. Yeah, and I feel like the book, and again, when we talk about this, like, is Agatha Christie commenting on it or participating in it? In this case, it seemed like she was kind of showing us the class stuff and making it interesting. Like, you know, reading those scenes, it's hard to even describe, but it was interesting because I feel like she did a good job of showing the nuance of, like, how Mary... And even they, they when they're scuba doing, they'll like send someone to go interview someone involved in one of the cases. Mm-hmm. And Prowell would be like, um, Franklin, you can't go and talk to this, you know, one of the other waitresses because, you know, he was basically too fancy for that job. So right. it had right. to be Donald Frazier who was the, you know, so like it was kind of like, I felt like the, the book did a nice job of showing us the, the class stuff. Right, which also showed you the three victims were in three different classes, too. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, so there was there was that going on. And so they Scooby-Doo for a little while. 
Um, and then they get another letter. And here is the um, Doncaster, because it's D, because I skipped C entirely, because it's not like I've been teaching ABCs to two-year-olds recently. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, anyway, Doncaster. And then people are like, oh my gosh, there's a big um, uh, horse race going on that day, like the St. Leaguer Stakes meeting. Um, and so uh, they're like, oh my God, because at first the cops were, there's a scene where the cops are like, oh, well, we'll just go and plaster that entire town and we're going to have cops all over the place. And Franklin Clark is like, you're clearly not a sporting man because that's the day of this big old race. Everybody's going to be there. Mm-hmm. So Agatha Christie does a, a shift to another narrator a couple of times. Not a and, lot. And at the beginning, Hastings says, I have changed from my normal pattern of only writing down that which I observed. But I'm able, but I can say that the things that I'm writing, I'm pretty sure were true. And so intermixed with Hastings' narrative from the beginning, there's these little clips, and it's kind of like you can picture it now in the way a movie will like show a little clip of like, you know, a unseen murderer kind of like in their room or like you know like where it's like you can kind of see behind the scenes, but you're not sure what's going on yet. It's interesting because again, I have seen later film adaptations of that idea but this is clearly like i feel like the source material for a lot of that where we we clip to an apartment with a person and some scenes and some clues but we don't know what it all means yet but it's not what hastings can see because it's it's a this is like a a third person narrator right and and yeah as you said like those scenes where it's like you can only see their hands or you can only see something we don't we don't get the whole picture because we're like who is this guy um, all we know is that he has name his name is Alexander Bonaparte Cust. Right. And then we end up we we something figures out that there's this whole thing about stockings and that like everywhere where there's been a murder there was a person selling stockings. And right. Praro figures that out. Did that happen before or after the third, fourth murder? I don't know. I think it was after that he was like, oh, well, wait, 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 maybe it was before because then they started looking for um, people who had bought a big amount of stockings or something. Yeah, that's why I thought it was before that. So then, yeah, so they get the letter about Doncaster. So and they, today this big race. And so the cops are there and Scooby-Doo team is there and Praro and Hastings Hastings wants to watch the Swedish woman because he's, you know, you know, <laughs> thinks she's beautiful. But Poirot is like, Mary's last name starts with D. So how about we have somebody on her, you selfish bastard? No. Um, <laughs> and um, so then uh, it's a, 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 it's a movie theater. Um, mm -hmm. and the we have another narrator a guy who we only see for this one scene 
who's like describing how he's really, really into this movie. <laughs> yes. And then somebody gets up and leaves right at the very end and he's super pissed. And then um, the person gets to leave and then stumbles and he's like, dude, can't you watch this woman have her, you know, moment? Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, after the movie ends, then there's a guy who looks like he's asleep, but he's not asleep. He's been stabbed. He's been dead. But, but, his, but his name does not follow the D thing. Right. His name starts with E. So people are like, what the heck? What the heck? And then it turns out there was a guy who was sitting one seat away and then two seats away because he moved, whose last name started with D. And they mentioned it to this poor man who's like a professor and freaked the fuck out where he was like, I was almost killed. I was almost killed. Like, I thought they were going to give him a heart attack, like, right then. Right? Yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah, that's very funny. And then this ABC guy, um, we switched to hair nar- his narration, and he's like, oh, to do, I saw the movie, did to do, went back to my hotel, did to do, and reaches into his pocket, and he finds a bloody knife. Right. And then he's like, um, has this like, what the hell, scared, confused, um, not acting like somebody who did the murder, but acting like somebody who did the murder, but he didn't know it. That's how, you know. Um, So he runs away from the hotel um, because one of the people who worked at the hotel saw him washing the blood off his hands or something. Right. And then he goes back to his, um, he, he lets a room with a lady for like the last three years. And, in London. Uh, in London. And he went back there. And uh, then the lady, her daughter and her fiance were like, you know, he's been on... Right, we and that's what we see them starting to figure it out. Like he, he's been in each of these towns... Doing a salesman thing right around when these murders happen. Because now all these murders are in the news. And then just as they're starting to get suspicious of him, he gets a phone call. And he rarely gets phone calls. So it's kind of a big deal. Because it's like, you know, one of those where it's like in the common area of the house where he rents a room. He gets a phone call. And he gets it. And it's a person who's warning him that they're coming to arrest him. And then he gets a phone and his landlady's like, what was that? And he's like, my sister's having a baby. I have to go visit her. And she's like, you don't have a sister, but okay. (laughs) So he leaves down. But the person who warned him was that the daughter of that woman, remember? Because the fiance went to go tell the cops where he's like, this is weird. And then the the, his 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 uh, fiance was like, I have to go call a friend. And then she called mm-hmm. the dude because she felt sorry for him. And she's like, the cops are coming. Um, yeah. So he's so running. Yeah. And then, yeah, they arrest him because he's not good at running. And like, in his look, room, they found a stack of these railway guides of ABCs and a stack of stockings stocking. to sell, which is what they've, they'd had. Like the clue was that there was someone selling stockings and close then, to... And then maybe the, the typewriter, too, that matched the threatening letters, the, right? Right. And the typewriter. And so they arrest him. And then we skip some time. And then we run into a snag. Because apparently he has an alibi for the second murder. So there's been right. four murders. And he was always in the right town. 
But in the second murder, when the girl was strangled with a belt, he actually had been picked up by this guy who wanted an audience who talked to him for like hours. Wasn't he playing dominoes or something? Dominoes, yeah. He was literally playing dominoes. But this guy was like, no, I was with this guy all night or whatever for during yeah. the time it would have been. And like 14 miles away. Like it wasn't like he could right. pop over. And so then people are like, what the heck? What the heck? But it's got to be him because he's stalking. He was every place. He's got the typewriter for the letters. Um, plus, he apparently had served in World War One and gotten a head injury. Um, and Right, so he's someone who's not good at making his own case. He kind of comes across across as unclear. And he even starts to, like, say, like, almost sound like he did it from the things that he's saying because he doesn't know how to, like, he seems confused. He seems very confused. And so, like, he does come across as someone with, like, PTSD or seizures or someone who loses time. Well, and they talk about how he has epilepsy. Yeah. Um, And so there was one of those things where, when they were like, could he have committed the crime and not know it? I was like, you know, as somebody who's had to get trained in what do you do when you have a student who has epilepsy, epilepsy does not make you plan and commit a murder while you're having a And send threatening letters. Right. There's a moment when you're reading it where you're like, it sounds real ableist to be like people with, you know, right epilepsy or seizure disorders um, could be committing murders and not know about it. So there's a point where you're just like, oh no, where's this going? (laughs) So then um, Poirot is like doing all sorts of um, investigating, but with the Scooby-Doo's. Like he goes back and... (laughs) I like that you ran with that Scooby-Doo thing. (laughs) Oh yeah. Well, they call themselves the Legions or the Legion of something or some, yeah, yeah. Something dumb. And uh, then he goes and interviews Cust um, and Hastings does this scene where Hastings wrote that what happened. But he was like, I wasn't there because only Parra was allowed to visit the jail. But let me describe it. And it's hilarious because it was, you know, because he's like, they sat for a long time not saying anything. And a calm... <laughs> entered the room and my feeling like how do you know you're just imagining <laughs> this hasty right <laughs> and that's what's interesting that the conversation was fascinating because like Parvaro was talking to Cust and kind of like pushing him and in pushing him Cust is like okay fine I did it and Parvaro was like uh but did you <laughs> but he well, also is trying to push him he does both he's trying to push him because he's trying to get what what is going on and Poirot's like do you know why and he's like no I don't know why and that's you know so it's and and it's very in contrast with the person who wrote these letters right the person who wrote these letters is like Poirot you think you're the best I'm smarter than you blah 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 and this guy's like okay yeah I did the murders but I don't know why I did the murders and, and my he's head very hurts meek. all the time, and he's yeah, very he's, like, yeah, he's meek and he's ill, and, and some, he just doesn't—he doesn't match at all with the person who would have written those letters, right? Yeah, exactly. even if he was like a person with like bipolar or something, 
you can't picture this person being manic and doing those things, you know? He just doesn't seem like that correlates with him at all. And, you know, they kept talking about the psychology of this guy was a guy who wanted credit, who wanted, because he clearly was, he could have blamed these murders on, there was always right, a Right, that was the point. There was always someone who would have been a likely murderer of the person. And if, if this person hadn't written the anonymous letters, it would have been like, you know, fallen to the, the obvious person. But because of the anonymous letters and the big deal they made about it, it didn't go to your ex-husband or whatever. Right. So, yeah, so they kept saying, you know, like a magnanimous murder. Like he wanted the credit. He didn't want somebody else to be blamed or even though he could have. Right. He could have just so, got it. So they're like, what's his motivation? He doesn't just like killing people and getting away with it because he wants the credit for the murder. But then he, you know, he wants to prove that he's smarter than Pro. So they're, they're doing this whole like very modern what is the motivation of a serial killer thing, which doesn't seem that sophisticated from today because that happens in so many movies but and books and stuff. But back then, that's sort of like, okay, what... Because even Poirot says, like, okay, are you killing, you know, the same type of woman over and over? No. Are you killing people who have mustaches because you believe you've been wronged by someone with a mustache no so he was sort of like there's people who kill the same type of person over and over or there's some people people who you know feel persecuted and he he keeps saying that there's nothing that ties these murders together except for the alphabet thing which really doesn't make sense and it's interesting because it's very sophisticated in the way he says that someone who kills in a serial way without using that term um will have something that's more consistent. Like I have a, an issue with women, so I always kill young women of a certain age, or I have an issue right. with this, or it's everyone in my life because I feel persecuted. And so he was just like, not like he keeps kind of pointing out that it doesn't make sense. So, yeah, so he finally... And if you just have the joy of killing people, then you wouldn't write the letters. Right, or do the whole... Yeah, because he also mentions, like, if you're going to be the doing, like, AAA like a person whose initials is AA in the city of A and a person whose initials are BB in the city of B, et cetera, then would, you would be uh, more um, exact than that. You would be very, um, like you would be the 155th person who had the A. He kind of says, if you're going right, to be it, yeah. anal retentive about A, B, and C, you would have been more anal retentive. Right, and I and that's where a play a case where I feel like um, Poirot's fastidiousness kind of like plays in because he's a fastidious person, so he's able to say like, because the way that the whole uh, train timetable plays in, he just he he kind of points out that if it's a person who's just you know again ob- obsessive and doing it in these ways, if it was the ABC and the obsessing in that way, that like you said, it wasn't obsessive enough for right. it to make sense and since Provo is a nearly pathological person with it as it comes to fastidiousness and obsessiveness he can say that he's like no this isn't the work of someone like me who likes to kill right he i mean because of course they don't have the terms like ocd or but they clearly when they describe Provo, they describe someone who has that those kinds of traits Right, um, and so I, I thought it was really thoughtful for him to, it was a good use of that trait of his, to be like, no, this isn't quite right either, because it, yeah, it's following that pattern, but it's not following it closely enough. Right, right. 
So, so then they ha- he has a meeting with the uh, with Cusp. Well, he has a meeting with Cust, and then Cust is like, "Yeah, I did it, but I don't know why." Um, and I have headaches, and I forget things, and my life has always sucked. Blah. And <laughs> you know that meeting—it's so sad. true. It is. It's sad. Yeah. And then he has the meeting with the Scooby Doo team, and then once again, uh, he spends an incredible amount of time. Maybe not as bad as the last one, but a long time explaining all of his thought process. And uh, earlier, with the very first meeting of the Scooby-Doo, he babbles a while about, like, um, we need to work together and pool our knowledge and da-da-da-da. And then the sister of the second victim was like, words? You just said a bunch of words and they don't mean anything. And then they kind of go off from there and talk about stuff. And then after they all leave, Poirot's like, man, she's way too smart. And Hastings like, what? And he was like, yeah, she called me. I was just saying the same thing over and over again. And it was so funny. I actually went back and reread that portion because, yeah, he says a bunch of shit. And you're like, I don't know. It's Poirot saying a bunch of shit. And, like, you know, from some of the previous books, I I didn't notice. And then Mm -hmm. when that character was like, he didn't say nothing. Right. And then after after he after she leaves, he's like, "Damn it, she knows I wasn't saying nothing." I went back and I was like, "You're right, he wasn't saying anything." <laughs> <laughs> but he does that a lot, so we're kind of like yeah. right. And so then you realize that he, you know, when when the when the brother of the third victim came and like said, "Like let's do the Scooby Doo team," I think Prabra was always suspicious of that. Right. So then we have this last Scooby Doo meeting where he babbles for a while and then he keeps talking about the character of the second murder because the second murder was a girl who was young who liked to go out with men who were tourists who would flirt with her and she'd go out to dinner or go to the movies because she liked being taken out to dinner and go to the movies right and then um so she was killed on a date with a guy right. who was close enough to her that was able to take off her belt and strangle her. And Poirot talks about the character of this guy would be a guy, and the wording of this was really... Let's see if I can find it. Because the wording is so dated. <laughs> you know, right, because... and, like, and we had just had this conversation with Cust with Poirot, where you're like, this guy is like not confident nervous he's not the kind of guy who takes a girl on a date and then like takes off her belt to sexy choker and then unsexy jokes her right like right he this guy cannot pull that off he's right. probably never been on a date with anyone right right so i know i didn't bookmark that one but he describes he was like the person has to be someone who's really really attractive and has to be able to get off and I was like, that's not what that means anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right? Uh, no, that is not what that means. So I thought that was hilarious that he was like, yeah. That's how you use the term? Get off? Yeah, I w- let's see if I can find it. But he didn't. He used it in a pre-prints sort of right. meaning. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> Uh, 
Okay. Yeah, here we go. ABC, to persuade her to come out with him, must have had a certain amount of attraction, of lay sex appeal. He must be able, as you English say, to, quotes, get off. He must be capable of the click. You know, so, like... Yeah. So, yeah, to get off... Um, that is a that is a preprint definition of that. Right. So it must be, be in this case it's it's to he said the capable of the click. So we would say in current terminology to click with with someone right. and to right. be able to How would we say that? Like a char- just be charming? Yeah, I don't know. I yeah, what does it mean? I just know that when I read it I was like, huh. yeah, no. <laughs> he must be able to get off He's Poirot is not talking about this girl giving him a hand job, like you know, like. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, gross! I know. I just gross no, but you mean like uh, okay? He must be able to pick someone up. I think we would say. Right. Right. Yes. Yeah. He must be a flirt. He mu- well, they called the girl a flirt. I think that only girls were called flirts, so maybe it's a yeah because the sexism. Anyway, so but, but, but obviously, pick someone up. Is that what we would say? I think yeah. there's another term. Yeah, there's another gross term that we use now, or that people use now, but I can't think of yeah. it. So, um, anyway, so he's like, this is not Alexander Bonaparte cusp. I mean, no, he's, he's not. He has. He's not gonna. He said he doesn't have the click, or something like that. Does not have the click. Uh, it does not have the click, and um, <laughs> I'm going to start using that now. They do not have the click. <laughs> but like, so he both, you know, he says, um, so it not only does the ABC dude uh, cussed not have an alibi for the second mur- murder, it also just doesn't even sound like him. Right. That he could and, he couldn't pull that off if he wanted to. Right, like, cause yeah, he no girl would have been like, yeah, I want to go out on a date with you. Plus, she liked to go on a date with people who could take her to dinner in the movies, and he was broke. Right. Um, which is why when somebody, yeah. So anyway, and then, and then so, um, his whole story was Cust's whole story was that he had the railway, so that he had got a job from the paper or something that sent him all these stockings and then sent him the, the, the towns that he was supposed to go sell them in and sent him a typewriter as part of his like work gig and then sent him all these stockings to go sell. And then they would tell him what town to go sell them in. And right. then the box that the extra rail, railway guides were in was the box that looked like the boxes that had the new stockings in them. So he just thought it was another box of those, which again, right. sounds really dumb. Like, it sounds like, okay, murderer, <laughs> that's your story. Right. right. <laughs> because most of those, apparently most of those kind of things where you were a salesman, salesman selling stockings, you would sell it as an order and then the person would receive them later. But in this case, he was selling stockings and like had the stockings with him prepaid. Right. Which is apparently not a thing. So like someone sent him all these stockings and he would go door to door and sell the stockings. And, and then he, sell yeah. them right there. So there was no order form or anything. But that's not a thing. There's no company that does that. The company that hired him doesn't exist. Right. And he was like, I needed a job. And they hired me. And it was great. And I was following the instructions. Right. But it, but there they... was no such company. 
all that. So it's, all it's that. either clear that he's being set up or that he's it's a long con for him. Right. But if it's a long so, con, he's bad at hiding it. Right, right. So finally, after talking a lot about all the stuff, and Pro kept coming back of like, why me? Why did letters get sent to me? And he kept bringing that up the whole time. Like, why me? Right. Um, is it because they hate foreigners? Is it because I had, you know, I had offended them in some way? Why would they be sending letters to me? Um, but then he came to the solving of the crime, which is that Franklin Clark did all of the murders. Dun, dun, right, so the brother of the third murderer victim. Yeah. victim sorry the brother of the third victim basically just wanted to kill his brother but he was like if i make it look like a serial killing then they aren't gonna look too closely at the third murderer they'll just be like oh my god it's a serial killer strikes again which i haven't seen this plot replicated in a current media right like it's still brilliant like to do a fake serial killing because you wanted to to do a regular murder like i was like so i tend to read ahead because we have more time to read than we have to record and so when i came back to reread this for our recording this i was like i forgot again (laughs) and i was like (laughs) that is such a good solution like it's it's so good how it's a fake serial a killer. Like you do a serial killer to hide a regular murder and you just don't care about like, and again, it kind of made sense that these people were of like, you know, making air quotes, lower class at him. Cause he was like, I don't care about these people. This waitress and some lady who owns a shop. I don't care about them. So who cares if they he, die? Cause all he knew is that his brother was Carmichael Clark and he lived in just, Chester? Right, so he's like, yeah, and then he, so he's his his brother that he wants dead because again, this is our whole thing that turns out that younger siblings are always evil evil killers in Agatha Christie books because <laughs> the older sibling had a a fortune and he had a sick wife, but if the wife died and he remarried his secretary, which the brother thought he would, then they would have kids, and then he would never inherit. But if he killed the brother and the wife die, then he would inherit. Right. Because they never had kids. But if he married the younger secretary and then they had kids, then the brother would never inherit. So that's why he needed to kill his brother quickly. And he was like, cool. My brother is CC, initial CC, lives in town C. And then he happened to meet this dude who was ABC. And they like and they, had this long played, conversation. And played dominoes. They played dominoes and he had this long conversation and learned everything about this guy and then decided to make him the patsy for being a serial killer. And so he did all this. He, he typed out all the incriminating letters on this um, typewriter before he sent him the typewriter. So he would have the typewriter that lined so up with those So he planned keys. it out months in advance. Like months, months in advance. Months and months and months and months. Because it was kind of like one murder a month. I think. Gave him a fake job as a stocking salesman. Sent him all the stockings. And then, like, set it all up. Went, took the 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 um, girl out on a date once already. So that she could right. easy, easily do it again. Set right. that all up. And then was like, okay, your first job is go to Andover and sell to these houses. And then he you know bash the lady on the head um and then the second murder he took the girl out who'd already 
gone out on one date with and choked her. And then the reason for Hercule Poirot was because he purposely sent the um, letter to the wrong address because he knew it would be rerouted and arrive. You know, it's, I mean, it, the, for the third the one, time. right? Because he needed, he wanted more time for that one because the third one, it wasn't right. a mistake. He did that on purpose. Sent it to not White Castle, but White Haven? Horse. horse. White no, ha- White Haven. Haven. Yeah, White Horse. Haven. And, and the right thing was White Haven. But and, it, 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 and the reason for involving Praro was to give it the air of, uh, of the serial killer thing to make it a murder mystery to make it a no but also because if he had been sending the letters to scotland yard they never would have been late right even if he had put the wrong address it would have gotten to scotland yard right away but because he was sending it to a private person it you know it got late and so it was perfect because the scotland yard was waiting for the letter to arrive at poro's house and so, like, he, they purposely picked a private person and probably had an anti-foreigner, you know, thing. But it was Hastings who said, what if he did it on purpose? And everybody... Right, right, time, af- right after that one, right when it came late. Because it, it, it came on the 30th when the murder was on the 30th, so they didn't have time to plan. And Hastings said, well, what if it came late on purpose? And both Pro and all the cops were like, no. That's not the rules of this serial killer profile that we've developed in our serial killer lab. Right. But then it turns out, like, he wasn't a serial killer. That was the real... No, the fake... He, he was doing a fake profile, a fake fake out of what a serial killer does. Which, again, if you think about it, this is 1936. Like, that's fascinating that, like, she could think of all of that. And I've never even seen that in a current media, like I was just saying. Like, where it's like a fake serial killer. That's just so smart. So smart. It was very smart. Yeah. And it was, yeah. I mean, the whole, the plot was really, really good. Um, and this idea of. Pro solves it in a good amount of time. Like, yes, there's four murders, but you couldn't have really solved it before that. Oh, and we forgot to say that the fourth murderer, that by this point, he, the Franklin Clark is like, I don't really care because my real murder is done. I, I don't really care. But if I stop killing, then... It's going to be uh, obvious. It could be obvious. People, right. And so he made sure, like, the reason he created, because I had to think about this, why would he make the Scooby-Doo's? Like, why not just... Yeah, okay, so that, help, me, help me with that. Why did he do the Scooby-Doo's? So that he had a reason to be in Doncaster that day. Because remember, uh, they were like, oh, we have to. I was like, is he doing that so he can get insider information about what they're thinking? Because if they all say, oh, we're going to Doncaster that day, and then he goes to Doncaster and then follows a um, cust around so that he can make sure um, that, that a murder happens near where cust is. Yeah. And so, but there's a reason for him to be in Doncaster. Um, that's still because, a weird reason, though, because like, could, if he had never done the Scooby Doo's, couldn't he have just gone to Doncaster? That's true. He could have and like that. been just like a rich guy in places that no one knows where you are. But he also wanted Cuss to be found. Right. Because, he wanted like you're right. So he was doing that also to extra set up Cuss. Because he wanted Cuss to be found so that 
the murders could stop. He could stop working on this. And... Right, because as soon as Cust is arrested, then he can stop killing people, which is just kind of a pain. <laughs> <laughs> like, he clearly doesn't have ethics, so he doesn't, like, care if people die. But He's willing to kill some random dude at a movie theater and two women that he doesn't know at all. But, like, it is, it's annoying. It's annoying to have to keep killing people and do a whole alphabet thing. It's a lot. So, you know, it's you just lot. want to just relax. And now you're going to kill reason... someone who's, like, who lives in Edinburgh and their name is Edwin Edmondson. And, like, it's a whole thing. It's a whole thing, <laughs> yeah. But, so the reason why the person who was killed in the movie theater wasn't even... He's like, I need some self-care. I need some me time. I don't have time for these alphabetical <laughs> murders anymore. <laughs> right. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> But the reason I started the sentence for you months. did. You were saying a real thing. <laughs> the reason why the person who's killed in the movie theater wasn't didn't have the last name D is because honestly, this guy didn't give a shit who he, he was didn't killing care anymore. He was it was just, just like, like wow. I mean, and so he assumed someone in the movie theater would have the name D. Exactly. <laughs> and he was right because it's a very common, you know, letter. And so <laughs> that poor professor that the cops were like, that killing was meant for you, who then had a you know freaking heart attack. Oh narrative based on his feelings. Um they didn't even need to do that because it wasn't meant for him. It was meant for anybody who was, was you know absolutely anyone in that theater. So anyway, um so anyway, and then um Franklin at first is like, no, it couldn't be mean. Ha ha ha. Oh, right. Then... So Praro goes through his long thing about how it's not this person, not that person. And then he's like, it's Franklin Clark. And then Franklin's like, go ahead. It's like, not me. It's not me. Ha ha ha. And then he pulls out a gun. Oh, no, no. He's, oh, um, Praro says, um, we found your fingerprint on the typewriter key. And the other girl at the restaurant where the girl who was killed works uh, recognized him. And yeah, once we thought it was you, there was all this evidence. And then Franklin pulls out a gun and is about to shoot himself in the head. But it turns out that um, Praro had hired a pickpocket to take coats when people arrived at his house. And the pickpocket took the gun and took all the bullets out. So... The whole like, oh, it's for the best if you kill yourself as a murderer. Not, not okay. Not happening here. Not in this case. Yeah, he's supposed to go to trial and be punished. right. But, but, but him trying to kill himself and like saying whatever he says right before he tries to kill himself helps to incriminate him because they didn't have all that proof that they said they had. Right, there was no fingerprint. It was, it but was his like, oh no, I was the murderer. Kill myself. Oh no, click. It doesn't kill myself. Yeah, that gives them proof that they can use then to try him. Right. But and I appreciated then, that killing the murderer wasn't the answer this time. Right, right. And then um, the boyfriend of the girl who was killed had said to Puro like a while back, like. I have a dream that I did kill her. What does it mean? And he's and Paro was like, it's because you're attracted to her sister and you feel guilty about it. It's okay. The sister's awesome. You didn't do it. Calm down. You guys can get together. <laughs> he actually says something kind of dissy. He was like, the girl who is gone is not worth remembering. This one's a really good one. And I'm thinking, ouch, like that was her sister. And, you know, like 
Well, yeah, and I think I there's a better way of saying that. Like, okay, look, dude, she clearly had eyes for many men. She was engaged to you, but she was not that into you. Or she needed more of an open situation than you were into. And so, you know, it's not that she's not worth remembering. Like, that makes her sound like her death doesn't matter. It's not that. But it's like, you know, maybe this sister is better suited to your monogamous lifestyle. Right, right. (laughs) But right, he does say sort of dismissive, like... Screw she's not worth girl. remembering yeah. <laughs> so it's like oh we shouldn't be that sad that she got strangled and then it was interesting because they had kind of set up that the swedish girl and franklin were flirting with each other but they had also said that um lady clark the wife of the dead man who was dying of cancer kicked her out of the house right right so as soon as he died as soon as the 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 husband died the wife who's dying was like get rid of the secretary and because i think she she never liked her and thought that that his her husband would marry her right right and and franklin did one stupid mistake there um I mean, besides making the Scooby-Doo thing, which was also dumb, in my opinion, but um, he came to Pro and was like, um, I want to show you that Thora uh, wasn't interested, or my, my brother wasn't interested in marrying Thora. That was the Swedish girl's name. Um, I'll show you a letter and then he shows the letter to Poirot and it's like, oh, um, my wife isn't doing so well. I have this new secretary. She's very thoughtful. She's like a daughter to me. And so he shows that to Poirot and he's like, see? And then Poirot later is like, yeah, you showed that to me. And, you know, that happens that people are like, you're like a daughter to me. Oh, my God, I love you. So I'm like, why the hell would Franklin have shown that letter to Poirot? Like, what was the point? Right. That didn't. You're right. That doesn't. What what agenda does that fulfill? Right, because it turns out that Franklin actually did think that his brother was going to marry Thora. Didn't like her. Um, and apparently, one of the traps that Poirot tried to set was asking everybody a question. He asked Thora, um, "When Lady Clark died, were you going to marry uh, Sir Clark?" And she's like, I'm insulted by that question. And then later, Par was like, I only asked that question to see Franklin's face when I asked it. And when I asked it, he looked at her with loathing. So, yeah. So why the hell would Franklin show that letter to Poirot? I don't know. Again, because he wants it to look like a serial killer. Like he wants it to be like, she's not a risk at all. Right. You know? Yeah, I guess. That yeah. one, I I feel like it was a little bit of a stretch. Yeah, yeah that's a good so, point. Oops. I'm editing. <laughs> I like how <laughs> editing for me. Uh, yawns, yeah. burps. <laughs> All the bodily yawns. functions. <laughs> hey, you know. Sometimes when I'm editing, I'm like, how many coughs are allowable in an episode? 
Again, we established you can't catch COVID through a podcast, but people also don't like to hear coughing. So, <laughs> hey, you know, bodily functions are my life right now. As I said, we had our very first dinner as a family uh, out to around uh, a restaurant in 15 months, and um, I, my, I was like getting water poured on me and noodles on me and and then all of a sudden I felt something warm on my leg and went oh napkin napkin oh <laughs> so anyway uh, so <laughs> I'm all because yeah this, this, it's funny because when you said I got peed on you know like in I don't know if this is a vernacular that you guys ended up using but like we would use the vernacular of like someone peeing on someone as if to like claim them as their territory <laughs> when you're out and like someone pees on yeah. you to let everyone know that they like at the bar that like right. you're theirs. Right. So when you said I got peed on, I was like, Oh, you don't mean in the territorial <laughs> sense. I was like, well, maybe your toddler was like, don't talk to another baby. He's like, I think you probably got paid on, peed on in the literal sense. In the literal sense. <laughs> where there must have been a leak in Sky's diaper. No. Yeah, when I got up. When you said I got peed on, I was like, oh no. She doesn't mean that. She means she urine. Yeah. <laughs> she means I mean, urine. No, but because he didn't want to sit in his booster seat. He wanted to sit on all, which meant I was eating my food. Um around his head you know kind of thing and then he was drinking water and eating and all in my lap and then there was the pee moment which didn't <laughs> last very long and but let's just say <laughs> I got up from my seat and I'm like wow my pants you know I was wearing shorts so many things on my on my pants my pants are very wet so I oh, I'm oh going boy. to pretend it's mostly water I'm no. going to, that's that's how I'm going to feel like so I can walk back to the car with dignity. <laughs> Fortunately, they're very dark pants, dark shorts, but still. Yeah. Oh. Hey, it was awesome to go out to dinner and they were good. They didn't cry. They behaved themselves. They said hey. hello. They wore their masks in and out. They waved at the waitress and said thank you in sign language, you know. They were great. That's awesome. So it was very fun. Also, I I can't wear nice clothes when doing this. Let's. I just take me to you know. <laughs> You're gonna get everything on you. I'm gonna get everything on me. I just you know, and maybe next time we do it, um, he will sit in his seat the entire time. We'll see. We'll so see. Uh, we'll see. So maybe I won't end up with my pants being covered in stuff. It'll just be his. Was it warm enough for shorts? Oh my gosh, it was 81 degrees today. Yeah. Wow. Incredibly warm and gorgeous spring, which is awesome, especially for, you know, like still coming out of COVID, being outside, safety things, but awful in the sense of like we had a bad fire season last summer. Right. And now everybody's like, you know, I like the warm weather now, but this is just saying, can we start the fires in June um, and oh, not geez. wait till August, you know? Yeah. So, so global warming. Because, <sighs> uh, you know. Meanwhile, without any uh, environmental uh, 
thoughts on this. I went out today. I took the trash out and and I went like I was like in sweats and a hoodie. And I went to take the trash out and I was like it's warm out. It was actually warm. It was like 77 degrees, but I didn't realize that because I would like in my house it wasn't that warm. So I was like great. I'm going to go on a walk and I'm going to get some vitamin D. I'm going to get some sun. So I put on like a tank top and some shorts. And then as soon as I go out like I think 3 minutes into my walk a huge cloud came and like <laughs> blocked the sun. So it's, it's, it's like a, a smooth 77 when I checked my phone. Right. Yeah. So that's not that hot. So I'm wearing a tank top and shorts. Yeah. So then I just look like pale and naked for no reason. <laughs> Cause it's like, it wasn't chilly. Cause I'm on my little brisk walk, but like, that brisk walk made a lot more sense if I was either jogging, which I wasn't because I hate jogging. I hate jogging. Um, or if it was sunny, that made sense. But like once it's cloudy, I just look like, cause it's the end of winter. So I'm pale. I mean, I'm always pale, but I'm like palest. <laughs> I'm like palest of the pale. And then like, now I'm naked and it's not that hot, so I just feel like the people would probably like, what are you doing, ma'am? Like, you know when you see, so like, it's not as warm as a person is dressed, and that's what right. I felt like. I was like, I, I became that person who I would normally judge, but like, why are you dressed like it's 95 degrees when it's 76 degrees now that the, now that the sun is behind clouds? And I was like, but I wanted to get the sun on my... Oh, Oh. I'm sorry, I'll go home. But I'm now I'm trying to get my, my 10,000 steps, and so you guys are just going to have to tolerate me. <laughs> So that's what happened to me today. And so, yeah. So well, I terrorized the neighborhood with all of my pale, pale, pale skin. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just have people coming out of their house and going, oh, God. <sighs> it's so bright. It's so it's bright. So bright. <laughs> the paleness. The paleness. It hurts. It did hurt. I'm pretty sure it hurt them. <laughs> people... Uh, yeah, I. I, I just the thing like I will I will judge someone who's like, you know, when it's like in the you know when it's like fifty five degrees and like you see a white man wearing shorts and you're like, why man? It's not that warm. You can wear <laughs> pants. <laughs> like that was me today. Like I was dressed like dressed for ninety five degrees, but it was seventy five degrees, and I was like, oh, but I I was trying to get yeah, some sun on my skin, but there was no sun, so then I just looked crazy. See, I have noticed. This happened even before I have kids. Because my thing, okay, you're right. The guys who wear shorts in all weather, I don't know what to do with. But for anybody younger than me who is not wearing enough clothing when it's cold, I am like, you're not wearing enough clothing. You need a coat. Where's your coat? Can I find your coat? (laughs) (laughs) And this was before I became a mom. And now that I am a mom, it's even worse. I'm like, where's your coat? (laughs) Someone gets, someone get there a light sweater. Can we get a light sweater stat? <laughs> oh yeah. This is Portion Mai's um, uh, old, old joke from like she anytime all- she would visit me, she would always I be always like, "But think- I." She would. She's always got a light sweater, and often I wish that I had a light sweater. And she's like, "You gotta have a light sweater." I believe in layers. <laughs> I believe in layers. Layers are great. I never realized you never come off as that sensible, but like between your light sweater and then like the one episode we talked about when you're like, why did she not have a nail file in her purse? I was like, (laughs) who's got a nail file in their purse? I have like 
my phone, my wallet, my headphones. And like today I have like, you know, in now times I have three bottles of hand sanitizer, but like I've never had a hand, a nail file in my purse. So, You're like, I, I, this murder is not realistic because every woman has a nail file in her purse. <laughs> oh, that's right. I said that about uh, Death in the Air, didn't I? Oh, yeah. It was Death in the Air. It was like, you were like, this murder, like, you were just like, that. it's 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 all solved because <laughs> it was because a nail file in the purse. <laughs> she should have had the nail file in uh, with her because you should. With your light sweater. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't see you as someone that prepared, but I guess you are. (laughs) You've got a light sweater and a nail file, and I just—I should know that. I yeah, and now like seven masks, so you know. Seven masks and three bottles of. See, I I I don't prefer a gel. I like an alcohol spray because one, it doesn't build up on your hand, and you can spray everything with it. I spray, you know, my hair, my face, my hands strangers i just spray them <laughs> with alcohol spray <laughs> like gross covid <laughs> spray them <laughs> i know right <laughs> hey yeah. let's get back to this book oh yeah so um okay so yeah this was we talked about this is like um the big four and it's like hasting comes back and then it's a murder where they're traveling all around in this case traveling all around britain Where's, but but Go ahead. But it, it didn't, unlike the big four, well, fe- which felt like it didn't, it felt like trying to put Poirot in Jason Bourne's land. <laughs> um, this one was all Poirot and it was awesome. Because really. Right. And, and, and then compared to Death in Mesopotamia, where like the premise was so unbelievable you'd marry your ex-husband and not realize it. This is something that like is a really smart, plausible theme in now times, right? Right. Like, like a person would create a serial killer theme, you know, to the authorities in order to create a single murder. Like it's just such a smart theme and a smart theme that would be confusing to the authorities and then probably to figure it out. And and the motive Hastings doesn't re- come off as an idiot. The motive for the real murder was a, you know, you have a really, he- really rich brother and his wife's about to die. And if you murder him. Hey, you're- I'm sold now. By now, in Agatha Christie times, younger siblings will always kill you. <laughs> and as a younger sibling, I have I have some things to work out there. But like, luckily, our parents I- have no wealth and it doesn't run to either of us. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> And um, I married a younger but, sibling, but uh, yeah. But uh, but yeah, but no, but like if you had inherited the wealth by now in these books, I'd be thinking about how to how to. Th- <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Just like every younger sibling kills the older sibling, like that's 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 the thing to do. Yeah, I'm thinking about famous younger siblings. JFK didn't think that he was going to be president because his older brother was the one who was being groomed, but then his older brother was killed in World War II. So Who, which, again. which older brother was that? Oh God, what was the guy's name? Um, Joe. That's a, that's a, that's a, that's a, not a long con, but a hard con. Right. To get right. your brother killed in war. 
right? So that you could be president. Well, apparently he didn't think he was going to be president. He thought he would be the partying brother to the president. But then his Joe Kennedy Jr. died. Yeah, it was Joe Kennedy. And um, so then, because uh, his dad was really into, had this plan. Oh, so, yeah. that's why he still had a little bit of that air to him. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know so, more about the Kennedys than the average bear. Well, I am a history teacher, but also um, there was a period of time where there was a bunch of movies made about them, like TV movies and movie movies and documentaries, because they were like the most soap opera family. Oh, yeah. remember when TV movies and movie movies were not the same thing? Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> It's like, what do you mean? Yeah, they're all movies. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's because it, it's interesting because the thing about Cause didn't you have like a Bobby Kennedy election poster? I did. I which I is bought... a unique thing for someone of a Gen Xer to have because it's not like it was like yeah, no. So that uh, no, it's worse than that. I did a trip to Washington D.C. when I was a senior in high school and before I lived here. And I went to this um, memorabilia shop that had like, you know, Eisenhower campaign buttons and Johnson campaign, whatever. It had like that kind of stuff. And so it, there was a uh, Bobby Kennedy for president poster from 1968. And if you know anything about that election, he was killed after like the second or third primary in like March of 68. So he didn't run for president for very long because he was killed. Mm -hmm. So this poster was in this memorabilia shop for $50. And $50 was a lot of money for um, yeah, high, high school, school person. And then in, in the um, <clears throat> 90s. Yeah. So it was a lot of money and and I bought it. And the other people who were on the trip with me thought I was fucking insane. They were like, you bought a presidential campaign poster for $50. From of a person who didn't become president and then died? Yeah, and they, yeah, they thought I was insane. And, uh, yeah. So, anyway, um, still have it. And now I bet it's worth a lot more than $50. I'm oh, sure I, I, I should I should look that up. Anyway. Okay, so, so as you look that up, what I've been looking up, I think you think I'm not listening to your story, but I am. But what I'm looking up right now is the last time we did the Porsche scale, which was Murder on the Orient Express. So okay. I we have to catch up on the Porsche scale on Parker Pine, Death in the Clouds, Death in Mesopotamia, maybe Seven Dials, since that was our our our, our mystery of the lost episode and then this one wow okay so i have to think so you can choose do you want to start here and move backwards do you want to start with parker pine and move forward um you're looking up you're looking at bobby kennedy aren't you i I, I am (laughs) okay so I there is one that's actually for forty nine ninety nine. <laughs> <laughs> no but inflation. It's always no fifty dollars. 
Yeah, this one is three fifty. Twenty years later, and it's still more than twenty years later. Not to this not to call one, you out, but you're is, more than twenty years out of high school. This one's only fifteen dollars. That's a travesty. <laughs> oh, this one says brand new. Do you still have yours? $20. Yeah, I still have mine. And this was back when you know you couldn't just. So like, you're telling me put- that they have not increase in value like a Pokemon card. Apparently not, and I'm shocked. I've been hearing all this stuff about Pokemon cards and people making thousands, millions, billions from from Pokemon cards. But your Bobby Kennedy campaign posters stay about the same because nerds of a certain age will always spend $50. (laughs) High school nerds. (laughs) So, before I get to the portrait scale, I want to tell you my favorite quotes from this book. Please, I love it when you do quotes from this book. So, book. when um, they were waiting for the letter from um, for the third murder, right? And they were like waiting, anticipating, and they get it, and they're like, "Oh my gosh, we have to go, we have to go." We got the letter, and we're waiting. So Hastings is like, "I'm going to help pack." And at that point, they hadn't mm. heard about the murder yet. I love this too. I also love this. I'm ready. I'm excited. So they hadn't heard who the murder was yet they were right. just like well, but they, but they to- got the thing and they're like oh crap we don't have enough time it's happening today we gotta go right now so Hastings go in to start packing because they had gotten their train tickets and he goes in to start packing and so then Poirot comes in and starts yelling at him and goes "It is that a way to fold a coat and what have you done to my pajamas if the hair wash breaks what will befall them and Hastings says back good heavens Poirot this is a matter of life and death. What does it matter what happens to our clothes? You have no sense of proportion, Hastings. We cannot catch a train earlier than the time that it leaves. And to ruin one's clothes will not be the least helpful in preventing a murder. <laughs> I just love that. We were just like, right, because Hastings goes in his room. He's like, there's no time. Let me just pack for you. Because we got to get to, we got to go because of, more about to happen today and power's like trains come when they come so you coming in it's hilarious like because you're like you could see why hastings slammed in there he's like okay you're fastidious but this is not the moment for that but then Pro actually does have a point like trains come when they come you can't go any earlier than they come it's hilarious it's hilarious so um so then uh so that was one of my favorite one and so when they go and visit um lady clark uh and she's like yeah that thora girl was on the make she was trying to get my husband so i threw her out and she's lying about um that somebody came to talk to the house because i saw her talking to somebody and then they're leaving and hastings like what does she mean she's lying she wouldn't have said that and then um they're just like paro's like well there might be a bunch of different reasons and the true answer was like she honestly forgot because it was a dude who was selling stockings and she was like go away but anyway um so they're talking about this thora swedish girl for a while and then there's a pause and Hastings says a good looking girl has such a hard time of it i said it last with a sigh (laughs) and Clara goes disabuse your mind of that idea and then Hastings like it's true. Everyone hands is against her simply because she's good looking. And 
part was like, whose hand was against her? Sir Carmichael, Franklin, the nurse. And he was like, Hastings says, Lady Car- Clark was down on her. And he's like, that's one person who was against the good looking girl. And, you know, it's one of those things that I always come back to, like, Legally Blonde is, I love that movie. It's a great movie. But the entire premise of the movie is that the incredibly rich, incredibly attractive girl has a hard time of it. (laughs) And you identify with her because she has to struggle, you know, where, you know, and then when you watch it again, you're like, but. But does she? (laughs) You're an incredibly rich, incredibly attractive girl. Right, and um, she's like hyper femme, so she's perceived as frivolous because she's hyper femme, and she has to overcome that. But that's not a lot to overcome. Being right. a white a white lady who's conventionally attractive and conventionally sized, and I mean, and very rich, just happens like... to be, and, and yes, and 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 white and rich and privileged in all the ways, but just happens to be hyper femme. So she has to overcome. Prejudice against people who are hyper femme, <laughs> who right. are white and cis and rich. <laughs> right. I mean, and get into Harvard and. Right. So the, oh, the tragedy. Yeah. So um, anyway, so. Pro- pro- still a good movie, though. Still a good movie. I enjoy it a lot, but you are full of charitable feelings toward beautiful young girls. Me, I feel charitable to sick old ladies. You know, like, uh-huh. come on. Yes. So. Anyway, Although he doesn't one. feel charitable towards uh, waitresses who were slutty. Right. <laughs> Prowell's like, don't mourn her. She was not worth it. Like, where's your charitableness for a slutty waitress? And I'm using that term in like to to own to co-opt it. Like, she could be she could be a slutty waitress. She horrible. Life still has value just because she's right. going Sounds out with fun. men. Sounds like a lot of fun. So uh, the other thing I noticed was that the Doncaster murder was predicted for September 11th. And so there's a line that says, I shall, I think that 11th, uh, I, I shall, I think, remember that 11th of September all my life. Oh, wow. So that's interesting. Cause, that's you know, interesting. Wow. Yeah. Can you pull out the quote about um, the one that foreshadows the next book? That's what I was just looking for. Oh, I forgot in chapter three, there's an awesome conversation about how everybody's gotten old and Hastings losing his hair. Right? Because Poirot's dying his hair. and Poirot's then... dying his hair and Hastings is like, how is it possible that your hair is darker than it was the last time I saw you? And Poirot's like, you just said it. If my <laughs> hair is darker than the last time I saw you. And then... um <laughs> it's, I'm dying my hair and Hastings has his mind blown right so. right and then Jab comes in and like teases Hastings for going bald but at the same time says that his own self is going bald but like Hastings has such a hard time with it it's like a whole thing yeah yeah Hastings is like the hot summers in Argentina naturally cause the hair to fall out I shall take back a really good hair tonic uh huh okay like okay boo yeah Okay, so now, yeah, uh, so they have this conversation because they're still waiting for the first death. All we've gotten is the letter. And right, then- so he's got, okay, so to set the scene, Poirot has got this threatening letter 
and no one's really taking it seriously. There's something about it that makes Praro think this one might be real. But like, Praro's gotten weird letters before because he's famous, and Scotland, Scotland Yard gets this these kind of letters all the time. But something about this one makes him take it seriously. But in their conversations about threatening letters and like murders that you could like, since Hastings come back to town, if we could order up a murder to investigate together while they're there, they kind of start this conversation about what would be the ideal murder. And scene. You go, Portia. So then first, um, uh, Hastings says, and so he says, I want a murder. The victim needs to be some bigwig, like an American millionaire, a prime minister, a newspaper proprietor. Scene of the crime, what's what's wrong with the good old library? As for the weapon, a curiously twisted dagger or some blunt instrument. Um, a revolver shot echoing in night. There must be a beautiful girl or two. One of the beautiful girls must be unjustly suspected. And there's some misunderstanding between her and the young man. And then, of course, there must be some other suspects. An older woman, dangerous type, and some friend arrival of the dead man's and a quiet secretary, dark horse, and a hardy man with a bluff manner and a couple of discharged servants or gamekeepers or something. And a damn fool of a detective, rather like Jap, and that's about all. And Praro said, you have given a resume of near all detective stories that have ever been written. So then Praro, he says, fine, what's your order? And he says, a very simple client crime, a crime with no complications. Um, uh, very in time. What, I don't know. It, is that a French word? What was it? I don't It'll know. give me like, I, I, like I speak French. Oh, yeah, anyway. But supposing that four people sit down to play bridge and one, the odd man out, sits in a chair by the fire. So I don't play bridge, but I guess you have one person isn't playing for part of the time. At the end of the evening, the man by the fire is found dead. Oh, I see. No, yeah. So there were five people. Four people sit right. down. Right, the and table. then one sits out, yeah. One sits on the chair by the fire. At the end of the evening, the man by the fire is found dead. One of the four, while he is dummy, that's a phrase in bridge where you're not has gone over and killed him and intent on the play of the hand the other three have not noticed. Ah, there would be the crime for you. Which of the four was it? Which is and, this, which is the plot of Cards on the Table. So reading right, that, right. I was like, oh my god! That's what he said. I would order that if I could order a murder. And then that is the murder, the plot of the next, the literal next book. And I was like, oh, she's working on both these at once. Right. And then, yeah. And I thought Par- it, was a, it was. I thought it was a fun. Like I, I told, I text Portia, and I was like, "She invented the Easter egg." Because I feel like that's a, one of those like real deep stand things where you're like, "Ooh, this refers to the next one." But you had to be paying attention right, in order to understand that, was- that that was a wink to the next book. So you had to like be reading them and then like go back again. Like it was definitely someone who's like super into the material who would pick right. up on that. Right, because once you, yeah, and I can't remember when I figured that out because I don't think I read these in the order they were written. So, um, yeah, who knows? Right, because you, because I read that the first time, it didn't mean anything to me because I hadn't read the second one, the, the the following novel. But then having read that, we're like, wait a minute, that's a very nice book. Like that's a, it's like a super fun, yeah, nod to yeah. that, especially because like knowing that's what happens next. Yeah, yeah. 
so we both said we like this book so i guess we could um talk about um so you know so we obviously talked about the themes of class okay yeah so she brings up class and i think she commented on it in a smart way she's commenting on not participating in class distinctions in this book I think and then murder was the rich guy or the, you know, right. Came from the rich family. Right. No, I'm telling you money, inheritance, younger siblings, watch out. Younger siblings from rich families. It's, it's always that. <laughs> it's always bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, there's, yeah. Because um, after the murder was solved, the poor girl, the woman who was a, a maid kind of, we don't know what happens to her. But the one who was kind of in the middle, who I think probably in Agatha Christie's mind was regular, they get paired off. So we got our romance because she does like to have a romance at the end. Right. Um, so, yeah, the rich guy was the murderer. The poor woman we don't care about. But the people in the middle, they get to have a nice romance. Yeah. Right. So I, for my listeners, I care about the woman who was a maid. I'm just saying Agatha Christie didn't. Care. I'd say we don't care about. That sounded like I didn't care. I'm saying she didn't care. Um, right, 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 right. Fair, fair enough. You're not going to get canceled for that. Yeah. So um, there's a, you know, there's the romance part of it. And then I think that like in this case, I feel like Hastings was very well used. I feel like this is a moment at which, and like having read ahead, I can say maybe that I think previously she just like shit on Hastings you know but like mm-hmm. in this one like he's the dummy but he's not the dummy he's like what if that was on purpose the fact that it didn't get here in time like he never right. was a real dummy and Praro didn't do that I have a need for a complete imbecile in this moment and luckily you are here <laughs> Like right. he, oh yeah, Hastings he loves to do that. Hastings is the narrator, and Hastings is the one who says like the obvious thing. But in this case, the obvious thing is true. Like, what if that was misdirected on purpose? And so I thought that Hastings was well used as a straight man, but not a punching bag of a straight man. He's just a straight man, right? And Prarose, yeah. genius, like came to gel at the right moment where it makes sense like there's no way he could have known sooner and when it was time for him to know he saw it all together so like I really like that like I think that instead of in other books where maybe they told us Paro was so smart but then you're like but was he <laughs> <laughs> like I've I felt like I, I thought it was a really a really smart smart plot a really good use of Paro and Hastings and also um, making fun of Poirot, like the when that one Megan woman um, said, words, you're just saying words and they don't mean anything. Right, like I had to go back and read the previous thing because I didn't notice that he was just like rambling on purpose because he was like, oh, fuck, she called me out. I was just rambling on purpose. And I was like, you were? It just sounded like what you normally say. So to right. go back and be like, oh, you're right. He wasn't saying anything. And he knows it and she knows it. Right. So that so, yeah, right there there was a self awareness and a calling out of him and then, when he's just full of shit. And the reason he was getting the letters wasn't because he was the great Hugh Poirot. The reason he was getting the letters is it needed to be a private detective. Right. It wasn't even about him. 
So yeah. there is less about him being the like I'm the greatest thing that ever lived, Sherlock Holmes like Right. And that's what it was set up to be because it was sort of like playing on his ego because like he thinks that of himself, but that's not why the murderer chose him. Right. It was purely because they needed a private detective as opposed to Scotland Yard to get the letters. Right. So So yeah. So I think it was a excellent mystery. And again, I remember reading it, rereading it, I was like, wait a minute. Oh, right. That's who did it. Because it was like a whole, you forget. And especially because they give you that foreshadowing. And I think those scenes where they show us, um, what's his name? Alexander. Alexander Show him in his his, like room doing whatever and it seems really ominous. And I can just flash forward to, do you remember that movie that where it's like, okay, I'm going to ruin this really badly. (laughs) <laughs> Ooh, there's a movie where John Malkovich is gonna kill a president maybe and he, there's like scenes of him like building a gun out of soap in the line of fire yes is that with a an, with a what's his name Eastwood yes Yes, in the line of fire. So in the line of fire, thank you. You're better Googling than me. I have to change this away. John Malkovich's face is scaring me. So in that movie, (laughs) they're always cutting to him in his room doing creepy murderer stuff. And then, you know, at the end, it turns out to be be him. And I felt like, again, knowing this is like material that predates all of this. It's like you see these scenes with the murderer doing things that seem ominous. And you're like, oh, that's the scene of the murderer doing something ominous. But it wasn't him. He was just like a regular dude doing scenes, like just like being in your apartment stuff. But he also had a sad life and he had a list of people that he was going to go sell stockings to. Oh, right. And then that was the part we didn't talk about. But like he had a list of people and he'd cross one off who was someone who died. And it was no, like, he did a check mark by um, Mrs. Asher because he was going to go see her first or whatever. Right, right. But like it came off real creepy, and you could see that in the scene in the movie where he like does the check mark. You're like, yeah, or he's just a regular dude who's awkward who's like, I'll go there first. Check mark. I'm going to go buy the beans first. You know, like we all do things like that that would be totally normal or super creepy, depending on right. if there's a murder investigation going on. Yeah, we forgot to say that at the end of it, for him, obviously, he was going to be a victim of this murderer as well. He would have been hanged. Um, Right. And so at the end, uh, Cuss tells Poirot that the press has made an offer for a story for 100 pounds. And Poirot says, make them give you 500. And he's like, oh, I could do that? And he goes, yeah, you're very famous. Let, you know... Because this poor guy who never had any money and he was kicked out of the army and he was injured and he's had absolutely, I mean, he's got just life kind of sucks. And he's, Paro is like, tell your life story to someone and make them pay you 500 pounds. 500 pounds, exactly. Right? And his and this first poor thought, kid, you're just like, his first thought is he really wants to get a good wedding gift for Lily, the woman who. You know, who was the daughter of the, or the house? It he was lived landlady. In, 
who called him to say that the cops were coming. Like, right. So his he first thought is he wants to give this sweet present. So anyway, so it, and then says, um, Poirot he's says, really the person like coming out of the story. He's the person you care about the most is this guy. You're like, Oh, ABC, right, right. Alexander and Bonaparte. Then, yeah, and Parvo's like, I know you've been having headaches, but when's the last time you've gone to an eye doctor? Maybe you have the wrong prescription. You know, like stuff like that where you're like, oh, maybe his life doesn't have to suck. Right. You know, he's going to so. have money now, and then he's going to get this wedding present, and he's going to get some glasses, and th- things are looking up. He's getting dominoes. It's going to be all right. <laughs> it's going to be all right. He's probably never going to get married, and he's probably never, you know, but. Not that getting married is the end all be all, but you know the the poor guy needs a maybe a romance, maybe a. Does he it might not, not? It might not have to be romantic. He could just play dominoes and just you know, or or romance. Either way. Yeah, we could um, send. Him okay, that's a, that's a, the next submission to uh, Pravo Podcast at gmail dot com. Is that? That's the right address, right? Podcast <laughs> at gmail.com. Yeah, because that could be like the fanfic could be what happens to ABC next? Yeah. What's his, what's his life after this? That'd be a good fanfic, right? Totally be a good fanfic because the poor guy just got screwed. Right? And that, you know, anyway, so. Okay, and, so. Okay, so. In light of everything we've talked about, where do you place this on the 0 to 10 Porsche scale? Well, let me think about this because I think that now that I want to go back, I wish I would, could do the scale and like calibrate it because the worst, the best thing about this is that you, the worst and best thing is that you cannot calibrate it. You just have to do it on your gut in the moment. And sometimes it's the one we just talked about. And sometimes in the the last three that we forgot about. And I think that's what makes it more accurate. Like, I think Uh, we're not asking you as a scientist pulled apart from the series. We're asking you in the moment, how do you feel about this book? Well, after this discussion, my, it would be higher. I got to say that there's the ones that I go back to and read for pleasure. Right. And I, I can see why you don't love this one because there's no like creepy banter and it's not like, it's not one I would reread for fun. But if I was a movie producer in the year 2021, I would make this as a movie because it's smart and it still holds up. It still holds up. And so. I, I know I'm avoiding the question, but this is the one that has been done over and over again. So because it's so they, smart. So, Speaking of John um, Malkovich, he plays Praro. Right. So it was done in '65 with Tony Randall playing Praro. What? Um, then it was done, and it was a comedy. Does he even have and, a mustache? <laughs> yeah, and then it was done with the you know the Praro like series. It was done as a radio drama. There's a Japanese manga adaptation of it. I, okay, I love a, that. A, a I'm excited about that. Um, and then and then John Malkovich played it in 2018. So like this, yeah. So this one has been done. I want to see the Japanese manga adaptation. <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, like what? Um, accompanied by its anime version. How? Wait. Okay, I'm not smart enough to know the difference between Japanese manga and an anime. Okay, version. so manga is typically the like print comic ver- book version, and oh, then the and anime the- would be the 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 part- video version. Okay, so there's both now. Um, so yeah, so there is um, like so many adaptations of this one, um, which it's interesting because Murder on the Orient Express, I think, is more well known. But um, this one is a great story and holds up. And if you set it, the only problem is, of course, is they we, uh, we don't have a real um, a uh, train book to catch the train that's called the ABC because that was just like there's a bunch of different uh, apparently there right. were competing uh, brands of uh, looking up the trains and ABC was called that it that's not as official name um, but it was called that because it lists all of the stations in alphabetical order so that's why it's called the abc but there are other ones um that people can look up trains in so except for that not being a thing necessarily um it, you could do the story now like it's so you could good. do a story now you could do a story in any country yeah it really right. it really works and like the serial killer fake serial killer like that's still not something we think of you know like when i started reading this i was like oh serial killer i hate serial killer stuff and blah blah blah. but it wasn't make that face the very last swallow (laughs) of my rosé from the can was was rough um, was rough and i don't know why little little sediment little little sediment there little tannins yeah, I think it was because I was like, "Ooh, water!" Thank you know, you something happens with like red wine, but like you don't expect that with rosé. <laughs> right, but yeah, that last swallow. Sorry, because like, oh. we have the video feedback, and I was like, "Oh boy, she did not like that." <laughs> <laughs> I wondered if you were going to notice. Um. Anyway, okay, so so, so and your Porsche scale. Remember this. It encompasses all of the things that are important to Portia. So, like rereadability, which I just coined as a term, um, is an important on the Portia scale. If you haven't reread this one often, then the, it might drop, it might plummet. Like you might reread the Big Four to hate read it, you know, and it could that can make it higher. Like so, just right. I feel so, like I, good plot all the things and rereadability is part of what goes into the Porsche scale because right. it all what goes into like, what does Porsche like? Yeah. So the whole, like, I'm going to read this for fun. Although I found more quotes in it that were funny to me, but it's definitely not the um, Tommy and Tuppence banter of, you know, flirty right. fun, it, you know, so um She's still, she's vamping, guys. She's vamping. Eight, eight. I'm going to give it an eight. Okay, okay, okay. Eight. I like it. Okay, okay. So this is getting an eight. Now, moving backwards in time, our last missing episode, which was Seven Dials. Mm. See, that's got a lot of the re-readability because it's got the young people who are quipping with each other. It's got a lot of funny... But the right. plot is a lot more convoluted 
the, the plot a... is poo-poo pants compared to this one. <laughs> is that the Amanda scale? <laughs> I didn't expect to affect you like that so much. <laughs> trying to say this even though I'm cracking up when I discovered it was a missing episode and I went back to edit it re-listening to our discussion of it made me want to reread it which I did and it was delightful because the, the dialogue is so good the writing is so good and the plot is still poopy pants but <laughs> <laughs> but so it's one that I will try to remember to reread because rereading it makes me happy because right. it's such a good reread, even though the plot. <laughs> <laughs> okay, from now on, <laughs> it's a scale of poopoo pants to ten. <laughs> I, okay, we're gonna have now. We have Bobby who's gonna make himself a sandwich, and is the plot poopoo pants? <laughs> <laughs> oh God! So. <clears throat> Okay, so seven dials. So, seven dials. Okay. See, I'm gonna give it an eight as well because for different reasons, different reasons because readability is higher, plot is poo poo pants. This is my new favorite thing I've got to bring it into. <laughs> and now I want to say this to my children when they need a new diaper Is your plot? I mean, are they not? <laughs> Are they not poopoo pants when they need a diaper? Okay. Uh, Death in Mesopotamia, which is the next actual in our series. Um, that's the one you did when you were here, right? Yes. So that was okay. the one that was like smart, but so dumb. Smart, but so right. unbelievable. Right. Because the, the, how the murder was committed was okay because it was a little bit hard to imagine because we couldn't see it. And then how the murder was set up was incredibly implausible. So I'm going to give that one a six. Okay. I was trying to decide if five or six, but yeah. Okay. Death in the clouds or death in the air. Uh, Or as we like to know it, um, as in, in the colloquial sense, uh, penis bees. <laughs> Pe- penis bees and uh, Lady What's Her Face does some more coke. Yeah, Lady does some coke, penis bees. <laughs> um, so that one has a good plot and good readability. I enjoy rereading that one. Um, 
it's probably one of my favorite pro row ones. So I might give that one a nine. Ooh, I like it. Okay. Mm-hmm. I like it. I like it. Okay. And then it's hard to, to do a series, but pro, uh, Parker Pine. Ooh, I love Parker Pine. He's so good. It's so good. And God, I just want them. To... It's funny. Um, so side note, after we did the Parker Pine episode, um, it was a Monday morning and I'm on a group chat with the other people in the social studies department. Um, and so since we can't see each other in the office and all that things, we do this group chat. And so one of the w- people I work with, who's about my age wrote, happy Monday, everyone, as Mr. Work would say, smiles, everyone smiles, which of course is fantasy Island. And- uh, yes. And so, um, I, I have to squirt the cat. She just, okay. Um, why are you squirting the cat? Why are you torturing this animal? What's going on? Because she's tearing up my chair and there's no reason. So anyway, so, uh, I immediately was like, oh my gosh, fantasy Island. And then, uh, uh, the people who I work with who are not in their forties were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And even people who were were like, "What?" I was to say because then... I'm I'm old enough to know that reference, but like I only remember like the plane. I don't remember. <laughs> right, somebody else said that. If they said the plane, but you know, at the beginning, and so I actually I said, found that's a deep a... cut because I was I was very small when that was on. So I I found a clip from uh, smiles everyone smiles of of Mr. Work coming out, and they've got all the beautiful people on the island and. Um, and tattoo and he says to everyone smiles everyone smiles and so i found the clip and like shared it in the group chat but anyway so so fantasy island of course i hadn't thought about it in years and then we talked about it so much so i'm just like oh it's all about fantasy island now we have to have an update parker pine fantasy island um anyway so parker pine i just love especially the first half Right. Uh, before he starts going on his trips and he starts actually solving crimes because so uh i i probably give that one a nine yeah let's give parker pine a nine yeah i think you're right i think if, if we ignore the second half and we just say that yeah okay and again it's, it's your scale so screw what i think and i think um then we're caught up because we had we did a scale on the murder on the orient express so now we're caught oh, up we did oh wow on the okay first scale well, I think we've uh, we've talked about the problem. We've, we've already foreshadowed things. two cards on the table. Right, because they do the plot of cards on the table in chapter three of this one. But we Which have you- introduced in this episode the new option for Pro Podcast at gmail.com fan fiction. If you didn't submit or you have not yet to submit for the Parker Pine fanfic. You could also do what happened to ABC after this. If he didn't get arrested for murder, he didn't get arrested for murder. So now he gets five five hundred pounds. Five hundred pounds. He gets five hundred pounds from an interview. He's got all these things. Like, so what happens to him next? That would be a great fanfic to read. So go ahead and submit that, and then join us next time when we're going to discuss 
cards on the table, which is literally what Praro described to us as his perfect murder. Which in this, you know, if 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 there were continuity within the universe of this, Praro would say when this murder happened, "Holy crap! I said that I wanted to have a murder just like this." But he but I feel like it's more of an episode. It's more of an Easter egg not to do that. It's more of an Easter egg to just have it be dropped in the last one, and it's only us stands who overanalyze and go back and reread things. Who are like, wait a minute. And if you think about it at the time, like, I, I like her not beating us over the head with it. I like her right, dropping I, that I in and not making it, like, over the top obvious. Like, wait a minute, I remember requesting this in the last novel. Hashtag buy my last, last novel. Like, I think that makes it cheesball <laughs> if she did do that. Which is true, because, of course, as I said, when she does do a lot of, like, foreshadow, 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 which she did at the beginning of this book, which is, this is the beginning. I I didn't believe him when he said that. And then, like, a chapter later, remember I told you, this is the beginning. Like, there was a little bit like, okay. Right, you know, and that's and the I, thing. is like, And I, again, having read ahead, I think through the years, she gets better and better with the nuance. Right. Like, and it's nice to see that. that. So I like the fact that she does it. Like she drops this in about cards on the table and then doesn't refer back to it because she's mature enough not to. She doesn't right. have to say, remember Hastings when I said I wanted a murder just like this? Right, right. So, uh, by the way, in terms of the adaptations of this one, the Tony Randall one is silly. It's okay. It's silly. I remember thinking that. It's been a long time since I watched it. You mentioned um, that when we talked about it before, but he's a silly guy. Um, the John Malkovich one is really good. It's very. Did you watch it? I watched it. Yeah. Does he do a weird French accent, a weird Belgian accent? Yes. Is it creepy because it's John Malkovich in a, in a Belgian accent? I feel creeped out just thinking about it. <laughs> He's kind of a creepy guy. I might have some things to work out there. I want pause from therapy, he... but maybe I'm going to call, call my therapist up and see what she has to say about that. Wait, wait so you think <laughs> having a French accent or a Belgian accent would make him more creepy? Yes, I think so. I think that anything okay. he does, I think anything is creepy that he does. But also I like him. <laughs> Like I like the movie being John Malkovich, but also I find him creepy. That's interesting. That's... So no? I, 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 the, but the other thing is about that is that Ron Weasley is Inspector Jap. What? Yes. Yes. I mean, oh, that hurts my brain. And he's a middle-aged. Inspector Jap. Wait, talking to Ron Weasley then... is old enough to be Jap. Yes, you just broke my brain. I know, I know, I know. So, like, um, what? Yes. First of all, I love the actor that plays Ron Weasley. And... Oh wait, but I'm he sorry. Plays he, he... Jap. Actually, he plays Chrome. He plays the inspector that doesn't. Well, get that makes more sense because a... Chrome is a younger character than Jap. So actually, that makes more sense. I'm looking this up now. Right now, you're you're hurting my feelings. Right. But, but like, also... also, I'm so excited because what's his name? That Ron Weasley's uh... uh Rupert Grint. Grint. Okay. Okay. So Rupert Grint. And there's no Hastings in this version. They just That's got rid fine. of. Him. Yeah, I know. He was born in 1988. Rupert was? 
Yeah. He was. He was so good as a child actor. He was the only one that was good as a child actor. The rest of that cast was just like, okay. no, again, I, no shade. They're children. I, but he was the only one that was actually like, and like, he, even when he was being hateable, he was believably hateable. He was so good as a child actor. And he was the only one. See, I, Harry I, just I, had the look, whatever his yeah. name is. Uh, but Emma, you're dissing Emma. I love Emma. No, I think she's grown into a de- delightful actress in now times. But see, the very first in one the in the, the in the in the Harry Potter movies, Emma is just being a child making faces, and it's not great. You know, like see, I just because she when she says it's Leviosa. Not Levio, like she is such the great. Oh right, no, she she has moments. She has moments of like, and like, yeah, she can be like smarty pants. But Ron is. She, you think he's he's yeah okay interesting. But anyway, so Ron Weasley is Inspector Chrome, and he seems a lot older because this was two years ago. So what was he thirty? Well. You say 30 like it's not a grown person's age, but that's what no, happens but... to those of us who are over the, over 30. We're like, these dumbasses who are born in the 80s are not adults, but they are. No, I, I mean, because he had a world-weary, I'm an inspector who's seen, seen some shit, kind of like... Yeah, because he's 30! When you're 30, you, you could have seen some shit. Okay, fair. If you're a 30-year-old police officer, you're not a 20-year-old police officer. That's what I'm saying. Like you and those of us who are over, who are like born prior to the 80s, we don't want to talk about it. But like, <laughs> you know, we think people who have a birth date in 88 could not know anything. But turned out like you could be a 30-year-old police officer well, and like be like, oh my god, I've seen some shit because 30 years is a long time to see shit. Okay. It's not his fault that we're older what than I'm that. What I'm trying to say is he played older than 30 and did a good job. He's brilliant. Okay. And we're not disagreeing that Rupert, Rupert is a very good actor. Rupert Grint is delightful. I also feel like he was one of the first ones to come out again. Uh, J.K. Yes. Rowling being turfy. Yeah, so there's that. Yeah. Um. Was he one? Yeah, I, I knew that they all did. Yeah, he yeah. I think he was. Cool. He was one of the first ones to come out and be like, "Uh, yeah, she's being turfy, but that doesn't mean that the rest of us are." Right. Yeah. So anyway, so yeah, I, I'm glad I was able to blow your mind because you should definitely see this. I have to watch this now. I can't remember where you see it. Like, um, was it a? It says Prime Amazon Prime Video, but. I can't remember where I watched it. Um, Prime Video. I'm gonna watch that. Yeah. Also, so apparently, her his partner is Georgia Groom. Wait, what? Uh, Who? Rupert? Rupert has a partner named Georgia Groom. Who's okay. an actress? Okay. I since 2011, which is 10 years, which is also like minds blown. How was 2011 10 years ago? Mm-hmm. That's I not know, right. right? That's, That's rude. Right. Like, how was 2011 <laughs> 10 years ago? Rude. 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 Okay. Okay. I feel like we've we've 
we wandered. I was trying to talk about the adaptations, and there's a lot of them. Bobby Dean Sandwich. Lady Harbury. Harbury did some coke. Did some coke. So... But the, basically, my point was your point was adaptations of this because it's such a good story. And but your so, point is it's an eight. You don't love it. Of what? It's an eight. No, I, oh, I called it an eight just because, yeah, because it's smart. Is really, it's smart. It's very good. Um, so my eight is like because it's not as rereadable for joy and pleasure and repartee. It is the Porsche scale. Those are important things for Portia. Yeah. So anyway, so we should probably like wrap this up now. Um, Next time we're going to read Cards on the Table. Right. And we're going to talk a lot about how we have no idea how to play bridge. Maybe we should learn how to play bridge. Bridge. (laughs) Bridge. How to play bridge. (laughs) Can we do it on Zoom? Can we play bridge on Zoom? Probably not. I don't have a virtual deck. There's probably oh. virtual rooms of bridge that one could. That's probably British people yeah. playing virtual bridge right now. We should probably look this up so that when we don't, we don't sound like total. Yeah. You know, so we're gonna uh, sound yeah. like total dumbass Americans. It's fine. That's who we are. That's who we are. <laughs> All right. So we're owning it. All right. Well, thank you everybody for listening, and uh, yeah, see you next time on Pro Pod. Power up, bud.